0: This one time at game
1: We played the Serenity role-playing game It was awesome It was awesome Over initiative. The end <laughs> So I'm not saying that that was the worst intro ever <laughs> But it was the shortest
0: it, Yeah, Definitely
1: <laughs> uh, Jason is not with us today because he is still. That uh, no,
0: makes it sound like he died.
1: Yeah, he's, he's no. no long, he's
0: no longer with no us. No
1: longer with us. We fired him. Yeah, no, he's he's still working his outage with the TVA, but that's okay. The show must go on. Must it? No. Well, okay, I think we're done.
0: <laughs> well, I think maybe we should go on till maybe after Thanksgiving.
1: Okay. Yeah. So just so everybody knows, we've got uh, two or three more episodes left, and then we will be on hiatus, and we will come back for season two in the middle of January. Wow, season two. I know. Everybody's super excited. Everyone thought they're not going to make it past episode two. <laughs> Here we are getting ready for season two. And we showed you all. Yeah. What? Anyway, we are the Honor Roll Podcast. Uh, as always, uh, this is the podcast to help you level up your RPG. Tabletop, mush, LARP, and everything in between. Because the only way to win is to have That's fun. fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of lame with only two of us getting yeah kind of lame with two
0: people.
1: <laughs> So anyway... Um, Actually, hang on a second. Okay, so do over. We're going to make it sound better. Are All you right, ready? we can do that. Okay, are you ready? Yep. Here we go. Because the only way to win a role-playing game it's is to, to have fun. fun. That does sound better with three people. It does. Thanks, Dakota. You are guys. All right. <laughs> so anyway, um, when last we left our Intrepid Adventurers, we were uh, huh. somewhere. I don't I even know. I don't even know. So, confession, these episodes are actually airing slightly out of order because of uh, the way— Wait a
0: minute. It's like Firefly. What?
1: What? That's right. Um, So, uh, anyway, that's because of the way the convention schedules have worked and things. Um, So, anyway, uh, we have a special shout-out today for uh, a brand-new Patreon person. If you are interested in uh, becoming someone who gets a shout-out on Patreon, you can find us on Patreon at (laughs) patreon.com.
0: On a roll podcast,
1: yeah, sure, yeah, that's it. Anyway, um, you can go there and you can uh help, help keep the podcast going, it pays for our equipment and our hosting fees and uh carries Pepsi and stuff like yes. that. So um, much Pepsi, but also you get stuff as well. You get shout outs on the podcast, or you could get prints, or, or books, or postcards. There's all sorts of cool stuff you can character get. Character roast, yeah, character roast. We have one of those coming up. Our brand new Patreon backer.
0: Is uh, Jessica
1: Carrolls. That's right. So welcome, Jessica. Yeah. Jessica is awesome. A lot of you know her. She was like the omnipotent overlord of Oh my! Uh, yeah, of One World by Night and Hidden Parlor.
0: I like to imagine she has a scepter. She
1: she has a scepter?
0: Yeah, just when you're an overlord. You over, have a scepter. You have a scepter. That's, okay. that's how it goes.
1: Yeah. Anyway, so Jessica's awesome. Thank you, Jessica, for, for backing us here. Um, We've also got, uh, of course, the regular folks that we name. We've got Noah Coltrick. Who are not just regular. They're
0: awesome. Noah's Noah's irregular. Oh, I don't know about that. All right. Okay.
1: (laughs) Noah, we're going to be sending you the questions so that we can roast your character very soon. Uh, We've also got Cameron Pruitt.
0: Yay, he's my favorite. Again? Yeah.
1: Oh, I lost it, huh? You did. What about Ryan Martin? He's my favorite Ryan. Uh, I've lost that one, too. Uh,
0: We've also got Brian Fox. Who has the best name. And, um, of course, we have Drew Stevens. Who is, like, super smart and intimidates me. That's true. It is true. Yeah. We also have Joe Hines with the Lost Colonies LARP. I want to play Lost Colonies so bad.
1: If you are in the Washington, D.C. area, he runs a really cool LARP called Lost Colonies, and you should check that out. And, uh, finally, we have... Sarah.
0: (laughs) Oh, snap. Oh, I don't have a fun name for you this time. All right. All right. Well, just, it's just just Sarah. Yeah. Just Sarah. I'm sad now. I'm sorry. All right. All right. We should go do something to cheer you
1: up. All right. Well, we had the really cool honor of meeting the gentleman who actually wrote the Serenity role-playing what? game.
0: What? It's like this all ties together. It's
1: so weird. I know. We've got a really cool interview with Jamie Chambers that we recorded at Post-Apocalypticon. Which is like the coolest name for a little gaming fest ever.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and Post-Apocalypticon. It's hard to say, though. No. It's a little hard to say. is is hosted by Dicehead Games here in Cleveland, Tennessee, in Bradley Square Mall. Uh, and they were kind enough to let us come out and record another episode there. Yes. And so we talked to Jamie about all sorts of stuff and also about stuff that we can't talk about.
0: Yeah, that's true. It was like super secret. That was awesome. Yeah. So I feel that, like I'm in the know now. So I'm,
1: so I'm going to give folks just a, a little peek inside is that... There are a few things because of contractual obligations he's not quite able to talk about, and so you'll notice that we sort of work around a few topics, uh, but he's very, very nice and kind and was a pretty mm-hmm. pretty interesting interview. So uh, anyway, let's dive right in, shall we? We shall. Yes, we shall. Well, we are recording live Dicehead Games in Cleveland, Tennessee, for Post Apocalypticon.
0: We're here a lot,
1: and uh, Jason is not here today because he he's has, not here a lot. He is working, <laughs> uh, but instead we're being joined by Jamie Chambers, who is a name you might recognize. Uh, he's worked on a lot of uh, big games in the past. He worked on the the Supernatural role playing game and Dragonlance and. He worked on uh, Serenity, and so anyway, he's got a, a long history of lots of cool games. And he's played got some, Serenity. Uh, yeah, and he's got
2: some uh, some neat stuff. And we've searched for the supernatural game. Yeah, it's, it's,
0: it's a pretty book, but it's an expensive book.
2: Yeah, some things are really hard to get in the secondary market. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I so. guess it's a ni- a good sign when a, when it's hard to find a book that's been out of print for yeah. a while. Yeah.
1: But anyway, so welcome, Jamie.
2: Uh, you
1: are. You are currently uh, your your big product right now that you're working on is uh, a Dungeons and Dragons uh, adventure module,
2: right? Yeah, it's a way it's a using the open game license I'm publishing, and it's and it's like you know not really a big project. It's actually just going to be a slim little 32 page adventure. But uh, you know D and D was my first love, and I've worked on D and D tie in stuff in the past. So this is a chance for me to jump back in to do it and work on fifth edition, which I absolutely love.
1: Was was Dungeons and Dragons the first
2: your first role playing game? Seven years old, yeah. Wow. 1982. <laughs> uh, there was some guys who lived in my uh, neighborhood who were older kids, and they had like a missing guy and just wanted to fill a, an empty seat. So they just <laughs> sat me down and handed me a character. I had no idea what I was doing or what was going on, but by the end of that first session, I was like completely spellbound and, and like hooked. Did you ever think of one day this is what I'm going to do for a oh, living? Not even a little bit. I didn't <laughs> even think that, you know, I didn't even think that until it happened, really. I mean, <laughs> um, but what was cool about it and made it where it was something I got into more was my my dad was super interested. He didn't have anybody to play with, so he was he had gone back um, he'd gone back to a, a technical school. You know, and I guess this is he's in his 30s at this point. And he he was getting um, a certification in repairing televisions of ECRs (laughs) and doing, like, small electronic stuff. And he had gotten in with some guys who were playing, and he was really interested. So he he bought some books and dice, couldn't ever get in with a group for a while. But he was interested enough where he just started buying me stuff when he found out I'd played that one time. (laughs) So when I turned 8, it was 83, when the Red Box came out, the big Larry Elmore cover, like, he gave me... That was my first set that I owned. (laughs) <laughs> and then from like there on I devoured it I memorized it I played through the solo adventure part right. and, and got really into it and then over time I collected some other guys and I started um, just running I didn't even run like full adventures. I'd run these like little mini almost like little <laughs> combat simulations and I was almost like testing things out right until finally uh, when I was around, it's like yeah, it was just before I turned 11 when I ran my first you know, like D and D module all the way through, <laughs> and after that, yeah, that was pretty much set. In place. And it was funny enough that was the same year too. I wrote a short story and entered the Young Authors Fair. So like at eight years old, pretty much what I was going to be doing the rest yeah. of my solidified. life was solidified nice. you know, in 1983. Did you go to
1: school for like like an English major or anything? I, or? Yeah,
2: I have I have a degree in English uh, lit. And I minored in both history and religion uh, along with
1: Strangely, that. that's like a yeah. perfect combination for, to for write in uh, a, a right, game. Yeah. yeah,
2: weirdly. <laughs> I and mean, that's not what I set out to do. Like, I entered college. Um, I originally on a music scholarship. Um, <laughs> what do for, you play? Uh, piano and voice okay. was, was what I got that for. It was a, not even a big scholarship, but I, I had to eventually give that up because the music program in my school was like, required a ton of time, of t- time investment because you had... You had rehearsal, and there was performance classes, so I was like, I was spending a lot of time, but it was like only getting one credit hour, because we didn't have a lot of classroom time, no. Right. Yeah. and and so like, I quickly, and I knew it wasn't going to be a music teacher or anything like that, so I would quickly dropped that, and I was going to be a history major, and my original plan was to go all the way through grad school and be a college history professor, Right. and that was like the plan for a long time. But then I started a family in the middle of college, and <laughs> life happened, and and then I also just sort of on accident found myself taking more and more English and writing classes, until I became a double major for a year, and then suddenly <laughs> I was an English major with a minor in history, and and then I also found out I had enough religion and philosophy courses I built up to qualify for a second minor. So you might as well just, so as well just took it. So I got the <laughs> weird degree that I totally never planned for.
1: <laughs> so how did you how did you end up in the industry?
2: Um, yeah, I just. I had started freelancing uh, and working at, right at the end of high school and the beginning of college. And back then, you it know. was a lot harder to get
1: into freelancing. Oh yeah,
2: and it was well—I mean, it was another thing that wasn't part of the plan. But at the end of high school, I just kept noticing that in Dragon Magazine, they kept running these full-page ads yes. uh, for for an online service called Genie. <laughs> and this is back before the internet was really a wording anybody right? used, but there were online services, so some mm-hmm. people had CompuServe, and some mm-hmm. people had this and that. And Genie was what, General Electric, they had these servers they used for their business during the day, but they figured, oh, we could run, like, this online service and we'll make it where it's really cheap to use in the evenings when we're not using it <laughs> and, and then if you play in the day there's like premium hours so, right. uh, so it was like three dollars an hour you know over the, whatever the basic number of hours was during the evening hours but it was like nine dollars an hour if you would logged in during the day it was Isn't ridiculous it, it's
1: so insane to think
2: back to like the AOL days when like oh, yeah. your internet time was paid for by the it minute was, it was literally yeah Jeannie we, 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 we did by the hour and, and it was, like, an expensive habit to have. you got so many hours just for your monthly subscription, which was right. only, like, nine bucks. But if you didn't watch it, you could run up a huge bill, which I found out really quick. Because um, I, I immediately went over there, TSR, uh, the publisher of D&D, mm-hmm. and I was a huge fanboy, obviously, and a big gamer. So, like, I was finding out, oh, this is a place I could go and interact with these people and, and do stuff. Well... In that first month, uh, I, ran, I ran up an over $300 bill on my mom's credit card. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. Which she was not pleased with, and I had to work that off and, and wow. pay her off over time. But what happened in that first month, I was so enthusiastic, jumped in, that um, I found after only being there around for like six weeks, I got elected the president of the very first... Uh, Uh, Online only RPGA gaming club. (laughs) Wow! Because I'd already joined the the RPGA, the Role Playing Game Association, which like younger listeners may not even know what that is, but that (laughs) was the like not just for D anD D, but for role playing in general. It was the Mm -hmm. organized play program that was just across the industry, and there were you go to any convention or whatever, and you could play in these special tournament games for everything. And, And even though. The RPGA was a nonprofit run by TSR. They considered it a thing for the industry, so you could games even by their competitors were supported right. in the RPGA. So, jumped into that. I got so I suddenly like found myself president of this gaming club, <laughs> and we had I think at the beginning we had something like like somewhere around sixty to seventy members, and it grew by the by the end of my term we had hundreds. Wow. That's great. Um, and then it was called LAMP, the Legendary Association of Modem Players. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, I immediately had some duties involved. of all that. We published a newsletter once a month. Uh, there was, like, a little mini text-only magazine because Genie was text-only. Right. And with my 1,200-baud modem, you could literally just watch the screen fill slowly <laughs> with text as it went around. And and then I started, I was running games both in the live chat, we would do chat room based games. And we also had games were played on the message boards. And I was like running and playing in like several of these all at the same time. And then uh, when I was doing all this stuff, I guess, uh, Dave Gross, who at the time was the editor of Polyhedron magazine, doing other work for TSR. And since then, he's went on to do a bunch of stuff. He right now he has been writing a lot of Pathfinder novels. He really <laughs> jumped over to the fiction side and is doing really well. Yeah. But Dave saw me, and he, one of the things he had to do was he was kind of in charge of the whole TSR online thing. And so he saw me. I was a 19-year-old kid, and he's like, I can get this kid to work for free. Right. <laughs> so he threw me in, made me a staff member. We all, we all yeah. die of exposure eventually, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But at the time, it was a perfect thing because uh, he could get me to do some work. He made me a staff member, and what that did... The main perk was as long as you stayed inside the area you were a staff member, the hourly surcharges did not apply. Oh. So suddenly my $9 a month or whatever it was like that, like man, Covered everything. as long as I hung out in the TSR area and did that, I didn't have to pay anything else. And Just I could slowly pay off my sort mom of like for the next 6 like paying you with product, except it was yeah. digital time. Yeah, and so even though I was I was called a TSR online staff member, but it was basically I was an online intern, unpaid. But they also did give me a bunch of, uh, they gave me a bunch of swag as part of it, too. And so... Hey, when my, you're 19,
0: swag is awesome. Oh, swag. it was
2: great. Yeah. I'm, I'm much older and swag is That's still awesome. Yeah. I still like swag myself, right? even now.
0: I like to eat, sorry. <laughs> I'm like, no exposure for you. <laughs> I didn't need to
2: eat back then. I just came. <laughs> um, but yeah, so one of the the staff member duties they had, which also we, it was like it dovetailed with my club president duties, um, was that we had every Tuesday we had a, an online chat where a guest would come on, uh-huh. and Dave would pick. It, it could be an author, it could be a game designer, it could or it somebody else, but anybody notable related to the company would pop in on Tuesday evenings and they wanted they didn't nobody wanted the duty of moderating the chats. Sure. So Jamie, you do it. And <laughs> and so that was one of my, my duties as a staff over. So every Tuesday I was the moderator and over time we got just everybody Tracy Hickman, Ed Greenwood, Bob Salvatore, wow. Colin McComb, wow. uh, you know, Jeff Grubb, Did you ever and, get Gary? Uh, you know what? I'm I, at that time definitely not because this <laughs> was, that was during the dark times? this was during the time when uh tsr was being run by lorraine williams right. the woman who ran him out um, and took right. over his company yeah. gary was not was was sort of talked about but you know yeah. there was never any outreach to him when i was part of that my, my buddy ashley and i were we
1: ashley's my partner that's working on the my game with me and we were talking just talking about this the other day how uh, how strange it is that you know, the father of the industry, you know, kind of died a pauper to the industry, you know, like. It,
2: yeah, it was a short story. I mean, I've I, friends with uh, several members of the Gygax family. Right. And I lived when I worked uh, for the first 10 years, I was full time in the game industry. I lived up in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Right. Right. So I was like right there down the road. And I'd already, you know, I would started visiting the town when TSR was still there. And I was friends with a bunch of people in the building by that point and who'd worked on stuff. but yeah, it was this weird time uh, where I met Lorraine during that period when I was started going to Gen Con <laughs> as a member you know of this TSR online thing and I just I sat at a uh, it was an RPG uh, membership breakfast, I think it was and I, I was sitting because uh, by that point I was friends with several of the TSR guys and they were like, the whole room was filled up, the tables were all filled up, and there was a couple empty seats at our table, and they were like, should we invite Lorraine to sit with us? We're like, I don't know, we don't really want to do that, but it's like, but if she, if, if we're like, if there's empty seats and we don't offer her a seat, we're going to look like That's jerks. Worse. <laughs> and then the, she's going to come down to us, and they called her the dragon lady. And so they so they're like, hello, Lorraine, why don't you sit with us? And, and this, this woman, same I tried to... Make small talk with her, and she clearly had no interest in. <laughs> and I and I found out, yeah, talking to everybody that she despised the very customers that she sold to. She had no right. res- respect for gamers or, or anything at all. She had her own kind of agenda for the business side of things, but she wasn't part of our hobby. She was just part of the business. Right. She didn't have the love. Yeah, like yeah. her, like her brother Flint actually had some real love for the gaming side of things. But yeah. Uh, yeah brain did not, and she was. I, my my uh, several interactions with her were all deeply unpleasant. No, I did not no, like no. her. Sure, and then yeah, it was also... <laughs> you weren't yeah, alone. Yeah,
1: I, was. there's lots of stories out there, and that was
2: one of the cool parts. Like you know, I was such a company guy. I mean, I was such a fanboy of TSR, and I was I, you know getting to be a small part of it. Well, you, you know, were
1: raised in yeah. it as it was growing.
2: Yeah, so. I mean, I was like I was that kid who I opened up Dragon Magazine. I was seeing all these names you know all the time, and then later getting to know some of these people. Yeah. And so I was so huge that when Wizards of the Coast jumped in as this competitor, like I to this day, not that everything is Wizards now, obviously, but I never played Magic when it was first round and every other geek was because it was like, <laughs> well, that's the competition. I'm going to play Spellfire, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, now I am, I'm friends with and I've with Jim Ward many times, who's Aww. the designer of Spellfire. Right. <laughs> and I teased him, like, uh, when... Uh, I did some freelance work with his uh, company, Fast Forward Entertainment, that was around for a while in the in the 2000s. And there was to be a big joke at the company meetings. I would, when I was done with my turn speaking and making suggestions, I would knock on the table, which was <laughs> one of the Spellfire yeah. ender turn deals and right. and everything. It's like, and, and I got tons of free Spellfire cards this first <laughs> two years uh, when it was out that are uh, less than worthless. Right. <laughs> Whereas if I could have gotten in on nineteen ninety four era early magic sets I would have yeah. been doing a lot differently. But anyway, so like I was I, I, I just kinda of had this anti Wizards of the Coast thing for a while when that when I first learned about the buyout and everything I was just like, oh, God, they're going to do this. And yeah. They're going to make D&D, and they're going to do a D&D Magic the Gathering thing, which never happened until literally right. just it now. Took it, run them out. N- it took them, what,
1: 15 years? Yeah. Well, way
2: more than that. I, know, I yeah.
1: don't remember exactly. We're, talking,
2: we're now talking about a 20-year okay. jump, because it was, like, <laughs> right there in the late 90s when, yeah. the, when the buyout yeah. happened, and then it was a couple years before 3rd Edition, you know, finally got right. released. But when I finally learned that, you know, Immediately, like Peter Atkinson was like, I want to bring back Greyhawk and make it kind of the default D&D world. We're going to bring Gary back in. We're going to bring some of these old creators back into the fold and, yeah. and make D&D cool again. It won me over pretty quickly. Yeah. So, And they really did. I, you know, I was...
1: Yeah. We were...
2: Uh,
1: I, I was just reading just yesterday uh, an article came out where they said that for like the fourth
2: year in a row now, uh, Dungeons & Dragons is, is up 30% in oh, yeah. sales. And so like... D&D is having a giant explosion, which is one of the things where it's like when I, I mean, I was going to do it anyway uh, when the open game license finally got released for 5th edition because I was just waiting and waiting because I wanted to do something. But even when I, right now, the adventure that I'm about to go to press on, I did an early access version. And this is one of those things, um, I had taken my daughter... With me out to a little convention in Austin, Texas called Chupacabra Con. <laughs> oh my gosh,
1: that's, that's the best name awesome. ever! It's, a, it's
2: actually an amazing convention. I totally recommend it, both because of the staff uh, and people who run that show are, are really amazing, and for the size of a hotel show with a couple hundred attendees, they spend a lot of money bringing guests from all hmm. over the industry. Really notable people. Uh, Savage Worlds fans are probably the happiest because they really—I mean—they're right there in where some of the Savage Worlds people are, and they have a right. big contingent there. But even outside of that, just they have a bunch of d d people, a lot of really notable names, and they, they bring everybody in. It's a great show. But I had some downtime, and I was sitting there at my table, and I literally just had a couple of pieces of information. I sketch out this thing, and I wrote, I, I would usually run that first version of that dungeon the next day. <laughs> So, like, I wrote it on Saturday. We ran it on Sunday, just a quickie little version, just based on one page worth of notes. And that's one of the things I love about D&D 5th is how easy it is to just do do things quickly and improv it and and jump in. So then I I printed this early access version that I've got now. It's only, like, 16 pages long. And I I went to a print-on-demand thing. I printed 100 copies. I was going to take it with me to Origins and a few other things. And I figured I would be selling through this for, like, two years and then would figure out what I would do with it. And it's like, I quickly sold out of the 100 copies, and I've gone back to the well several times now. Wow. And this little thing that it was just an afterthought, it's like, wow, D&D is really... Like, people hmm. are just seeing that there's a 5th edition compatible thing and jumping in on it. Right. Well, they said that last year is the, the highest-selling year of
1: Dungeons & Dragons in its
2: history. 44 years. Yeah. history. And then right? when you actually look at what some of those numbers were in the 80s that they were doing... <laughs> They it's were like, doing that well. That is crazy. <laughs> yeah. and, and for the longest time, you know, like Wizards of the Coast, they bought, where Hasbro bought Wizards for Magic. I mean, that was right. the brand that right. they wanted. Like within weeks, the Magic logo was one of the core brands up on the Hasbro <laughs> website. Like that was obviously what they did. They focused on that, and ever and the D and D group has always had to fight for its place in the company, yeah. and, and over and over again, and. and I was really worried that Fourth Edition and, and some of the disappointments they had there right. might kill it or force them to sell it off sure. or, or whatever. It's was pretty they, painful. Yeah.
1: They, they yeah. said that uh, I mean Fourth Edition is kind of like you know when, when you break a bone and it and it sets improperly. You know, like that was three <laughs> and three five, and then sometimes you have to re-break it to set it properly. And I think that's
2: Fourth Edition was the re-break. Yeah, yeah. Fourth you know? Edition I have very mixed feelings about because like when it first hit, I kind of jumped on the hate train with a lot of other people like right. oh, this isn't my D&D and it's weird it's like only toward the very end of 4th edition being around I came to appreciate it and it's like my, my thing is I think 4th edition is actually a good game and it wouldn't have gotten so much flack if it hadn't have been called Dungeons and Dragons because right. it's like it, it didn't it, it, it deviated more than any other edition yeah. from the previous versions of the game it was completely incompatible yeah I think they were
1: trying to reinvent the wheel a little so yeah. that when 5th came out, you know, eventually they would be able to take what they learned and go back to the roots and, and make a yeah. better better game. But
2: well, with 4th, I mean, they made a really good game, and I could see the things they were trying to do. But what they, so it was like, to me, is a good game, but a bad business decision. <laughs> so they simultaneously, like, alienated all the people. I and mean, when you realize the timetable, like, you know, D&D 3rd Edition came out in 2000. Right. 3.5 came out three years later. Yeah. And then, you know, and then 4th edition came out in 2008. So, like, already people were being asked to invest in new core books right. back-to-back. Yeah. And then suddenly you're like, oh, yeah, your existing characters are kaput. Oh, yeah, you're in the Forgotten Realms. Yeah, we're completely detonating the timeline. <laughs> right. start Everything you were involved in doing this and that. And it was like it felt like they wanted to get this new group of customers yeah. and didn't care much about their old ones. Right. And meanwhile, and then because of the open game license, they literally handed the golden ticket to Paizo. Right. Who just <laughs> literally were like, oh, well, you can just literally publish a newer update to third edition and mm-hmm. just keep on trucking. And then they could just open, welcome this giant pool of customers with right. open arms. And that's why Pathfinder ruled the roost for yeah.
1: years. Yeah. And now they're going through a, a second edition shift, and they're meeting the same difficulties. It's, it's very, and, and it's like I
2: totally, when, when I heard that, you know, that they had said uh, that you know I don't even remember where it was stated, but I know there was an understanding among Pathfinder fans that they would never do a new a second edition, right? And that was like this thing. So like I know some people who felt as this total betrayal, yeah. And, and you know I'm I'm really good friends with Jason, uh, lead designer of Pathfinder, and it's like I knew even when I kind of heard that offhand somewhere, I was like that can't be true <laughs> if Pathfinder sustains itself just because I know being a game publisher what the model is and right. there's like eventually there's this whole business life cycle where there's a core book that's always gonna be your you know in theory your big, big seller stuff, right? and then yeah. supplements yeah. and adventures are always gonna be kind of diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. And it's like when you look at the amount of material that, that Pathfinder cranked out, you know, to this future market, it's like you know, it's like eventually. You know, each after years, even with the huge fan base, there's gonna be less and less stuff right. people are gonna buy. It you have to. I, press have, a, a reset. I have a the guy who runs. Well, he hosts it now. It's a different DM, but I play in a Pathfinder game as a player. That I'm having a blast in playing as a barbarian. But the the guy who hosts it, he has a one of the Paizo subscriptions, so he is, he's a giant library in his <laughs> game room that has everything. But even then, there's stuff that he hasn't even touched. And as a huge fan, there's just so much material. You look for that. So it's like inevitably there would need to be a point where you'd need to clean it up, but both in terms of just wanting to have a good entry level, where it's like here's a a good core book that incorporates all this stuff that we've learned. Right. And two, just to get core book sales. Like after so many years, you're going to need to relaunch a game just right. to keep it alive and, and keep that business side of things.
1: And and gaming trends yeah. really change too. You know, I mean, yeah. now the and, and I don't know how much uh, the new edition of Pathfinder takes this in, but you know, now like collaborative gaming is a thing. You yeah. have yeah. this idea that players have power like the DM does. like You know, that was, yeah. when, when I started playing the idea that Back the storyteller, yeah, the DM and the storyteller, he was God. Mm. That was, He wrote the book.
2: If there was a book, he was it. You know, or he read
1: the book, right? And it's just—it's not that way anymore, necessarily.
2: I always say this with a huge grain of salt. Like, I don't—I never really innovated anything in the industry. <laughs> I feel like I, I stole a bunch of stuff from different places, like different <laughs> ideas I lifted over the years, and a lot of it's like that. And so, I don't necessarily. There are true genius game designers out there who come up with completely new ideas or brandy takes on things. I think, I have like absorbed by osmosis all these different games I've played and seen and and popped in new ideas here and there but one thing I had done in previous games was uh, was kind of have this sort of idea of storyteller points or plot points or fight points depending on which game you're playing right. that give the players a certain like currency they can use and they can spend it to affect things sure. in the game that could either be a game mechanic thing or a story thing and then later I see that, even in 5th edition, when I saw how um, inspiration works. John Wick yeah, did it in seventh yeah. c yeah. they were a little things. drama. Like, yeah, there, there, there's, there's tons of things, and those have been going on. Like, I mean, you go back to the Ghostbusters <laughs> RPG, in West End in the 80s and saw some of that kind of thing going on, so it's not a new idea. But what I thought was cool is like, you know, in previous games like I had done where it's the idea of like if you go back to GURPS, you know, you could mm. you could you could customize a character and have all this stuff and it would give you stuff in for character creation where it's like, oh, your character has this phobia or your character has this thing. And some of them are purely role-playing stuff. Right. But they would still give you all these character creation bonus points. And then a player might just sort of forget about it <laughs> at the table. And if the you know, the GM isn't reminding them they won't do it. And, you know, my solution to this, which I don't even think I was the first person to do this, was to literally have the instead of it be an advantage of character creation, the player basically gets bribed by the game to play this stuff. So like when you play your phobia of, you know, rats or whatever it is, then you the the GM will give you some points you can then right. use to spend on other stuff. <laughs> and it's like when I saw when I saw that on fifth edition, you know, it's like you literally can get advantage for playing your character's flaw. Right. It's like I've seen this somewhere before, because yeah. I've written yeah. something <laughs> like this somewhere before. Or, you know, when I saw when they, the very last version of Star Wars that Wizards of the Coast did, they, they had a whole thing where vehicles and ships are treated similarly to characters and have their own traits and have their own. Right. And basically mirror the sets. Like, oh, yeah, I did that in one of my previous <laughs> <movies> games, too. <laughs> Which, once again, probably, you know, I've seen somewhere else. But yeah. Uh, so, yeah, oh, there's these different trends coming around. And that whole idea of, of players having... Some agency. There would be game mechanics that yeah. allow them to insert yeah. things, even in the story side. Right, is, is very cool, and, and I, I like that kind of stuff. Yeah.
1: yeah, and I struggled with it at first. It was, I mean, oh, I,
0: it was terrible. <laughs> oh, he complained so much.
1: <laughs> I was a little bit of an old school gamer in that regards for a while, but I'm, I've come to to appreciate it. I'm just not good at it. <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: maybe why fifth edition very quickly became my favorite version of D&D. And I've literally yeah. played them all except for D&D Zero, like the original, you know, the original white box, uh, right. which I never played that version, but I, I go to Gary GaryCon, uh, so at some point I may need to jump in on one of those games like Frank Minster or some of those guys. Every once in a while I'll run eh? the, the oldest version of D&D you right. can get. And just so I can cross that off the, the box and left. say that I played played the version of D&D where every weapon does a D6, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I played them all. And so, like, 5th edition, it, it has a lot of, to me, it has a lot of the feel of when I was, like, running AD&D 2nd edition. But with very clean game mechanics, uh, you know, good use of language, things are very well-defined... But at the same time, it has some of this storytelling yeah. stuff uh, thrown in there, and that, that very simple little mechanic there. I know some people don't even use inspiration; the game can play just fine without it. Right. But I still like having that thing where you do encourage your players to pay attention to what their character is sure. all about, and I even try to go beyond the four like things that are on the character sheet. But if it's something related to a character's past or their or something you know that that has come up that is a story or a role-playing based thing, I like to give them that that little Benny, you know, that yeah, rewards them yeah, for that.
1: absolutely. That's awesome.
2: So, A Delve in the Cave is the name of the 5th yes, ed Edition.
1: Uh, the 5th Ed Edition? Yes, the 5th ed Edition. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the 5th Edition um, Adventure yeah, that the I wrote. Yeah, adventure that you wrote.
1: So, when does, when does that come out in its full release?
2: Uh, well, I'm going to should be announcing that officially soon. Uh, okay. it's, it's a little late, unfortunately. Um, I've got this is the fun, the the not so much fun thing uh, I'm talking about. But I, my daughter uh, has some serious health issues a few years ago. She's uh, so in 2016 she was diagnosed with leukemia, and basically the entire year I almost lost like professionally because I'm the only one in my family flexible enough to been able to take care of her. Right. So she's been doing really well for a few uh, for a few years, but unfortunately we got some news starting back in August that. Her cancer has relapsed, so we're dealing with that. We we kind of announced it to the world just a couple weeks ago. Uh, that This is going on. So if you're listening, you need to buy this adventure because because yeah. health problems are,
1: are serious and expensive, and and if, if we can help in some way, that's how we can help. Yeah, if
2: anybody's uh, interested in, in what's going on with that, we we created a website for family, friends, and anybody anybody who wanted to uh, you know help out and support or even just want to keep up with the news it's literally called fun for liz the number four so okay uh, and dot net and that goes to this website where we do stuff we actually sell some geeky items as kind of fundraising yeah. things there and some t-shirts and stuff and uh at the same time uh also yeah it's changed my schedule so like originally delve in the cave was supposed to go to press a couple months ago and already be out here and it was going to be out in october Things got a little bit delayed, but we're now, I'm literally maybe two weeks away from being able to go to press, so I'm thinking January, but I'll put out an official announcement. Awesome. Uh, My website for the actual regular company is SignalFireStudios.com and'll we'll, and we'll links you there. we'll absolutely. put links to that
1: and also fun for Liz we'll put the, all of that up on our episode yeah, thank page. you very much
2: You're absolutely so I mean we're, we're hopeful we're gonna find out real soon what her most recent biopsy results are and, and she's feeling fine at the moment like sure. this just came up on some tests that this has happened so yeah. we're hoping that means she's they've caught it nice and early yeah, And right, we're gonna yeah. go there um, but yeah delve in the cave uh, in in it, it's it's kind of a, a, a neat blend uh, the, the climax of this adventure is a very old school dungeon crawl right. it takes place in a cave which is and yeah, I made even like you can't see it here in an audio form but I saw you guys it. can oh. see the cover right there it's very kind of retro mm-hmm. uh, it, it looks the, like an old D&D mm-hmm. adventure okay. and, and I need to
0: ask because okay. I walked by yesterday the table that you had set up mm-hmm. That map you had out on your table, was
2: yes. gorgeous. Yes, it is, and that's I'm really happy to announce. That's one of the cool parts about the final version, is that color map you saw mm-hmm. is going to be in a poster form, bundled in with every Will single copy. Will it be copy. the same size? Yes. So, oh, it was okay,
1: huge. Okay, so I want to just let folks know because you, if you, because you can't see it through the podcast, obviously, but, maybe. Uh, it's not just like a poster with the map on it. It's actually got one inch by one inch squares, yeah. you know, the grid on it for your for your uh, miniatures. So. Uh, it's bigger than a poster. I mean, it's, it's a table-sized, and yeah, it's when pretty Yeah, awesome. when I
2: first did it, it was 30, a full 36 by 48 inches. <laughs> now, we managed to trim it down without, without cutting any of the actual cave off, but just by going around the corners. We reduced it in size to where it would work better for a folded thing, In but it's still just a few inches on each side under that. I can't wow. remember the exact dimensions at the moment. In color, um, my artist, Ben Mund, uh, he did the color version. And so he's the guy cool. I worked with. He did the Building an Elder God card game with me. We did the Very Hungry Cthulhu Pillar parody book.
1: Oh, I didn't and know that was you. Yeah, I've yeah. actually, I've, I've seen that. So that's yeah,
2: that was, that was one of the early products that we come out with our company. <laughs> and Ben was the guy totally responsible for that bit of craziness. And, but Ben is amazing. Like, he can do anything uh, visually. And he did this beautiful kind of watercolor look right. for I, the poster. I thought it was watercolor uh, when I looked
0: at it first. It's gorgeous. Yeah,
2: ben, can, ben can do every, he does everything digitally, mm-hmm. but he can make it look like anything. He is that good. And so, yeah, the, the color map will be in there. Um, whereas the early access just kind of gives you some adventure hooks and jumps you straight into the dungeon crawl. <laughs> but the, the full version gives you an entirely fully fleshed out town it's it's undergoing kind of a serious crisis it's kind of a throwback to early adventures like Village of Homelid or curse or the cult of the reptile against the cult of the reptile god <laughs> two of my favorite old school adventures yeah. so this is a town called Shadowhaven some bad stuff is going on there and through investigation, the adventurers can kind of find out what's going on. It will eventually take them to the cave that's in the title. That's amazing.
1: <laughs> so uh, you've got a table of some stuff here. Yeah. Some of the other things you've got on it, uh, you have Metamorphosis Alpha. Can you tell us yes. a little about
2: that? Well, the original Metamorphosis Alpha was It's an old game. A very right? old game. Uh, it came out in nineteen seventy-six. I was one year one year old. At I the was time. two. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you were you were not born yeah. yet. That's not true. That's not <laughs> Trying to make you sound younger. Thanks. I bought it. If no, she was you me. <laughs> it's lame, you
2: jerk. So yeah, it was actually the the, the second role playing game that TSR ever put out after D and D, uh, and and then it was also arguably the first sci fi RPG ever published. Even though I know there's a really? few other games that contend. was like there was because right after D and D came out, there was this explosion of these early games where everybody's trying to jump in on that. But uh, but I know that at least that was the the hype was it was the the first sci-fi RPG. But if very, nothing else, one of the first.
0: Sure. Yeah. In a and short
2: period of time. It's a mutants kind of game, right? Yes. And actually, what's interesting is it was the precursor to Gamma World. And in fact, I mean, Gamma <laughs> World directly <laughs> sprang out of Metamorphosis Alpha. But uh, so many people know Gamma World, but didn't even know Metamorphosis Alpha was a thing. Like, and that was kind of my mission when I was going to work on it. It's also one of the few pieces of intellectual property that escaped from the walls of Wizard of the Coast. (laughs) And that's because, you know, Jim Ward, he's the creator of Metamorphosis Alpha, and he was a vice president of TSR at the time. And part of his severance package, when he parted ways with the company, was getting to keep his baby. Uh, (laughs) And so he owns the rights to Metamorphosis Alpha, so I was able to license it and work with Jim to put out this, which is the fifth edition
1: That's amazing. So it's going
2: to run. It's using the OGL
1: from Fifth Ed. um, No, no, it's it's, it's
2: Fifth Edition of Metamorphosis Alpha. Okay. So I'll explain this. So (laughs) the so there's been a bunch of different game systems that have worked with with Metamorphosis over the years, but uh, I wanted to relaunch it for a new audience because everybody I talked to didn't never didn't even hear of it. Right. And like when I read the back of Fourth Edition Metamorphosis Alpha, it literally the like the the text trying to sell you the book all it did was talk about how different it was from the previous edition and it was but like it, it did, if you literally had players. just picked yeah. it up the first time you wouldn't even know what it was about it's like oh there's a spaceship on the front okay something about <laughs> mutations you literally had nothing to hang it on so like my mission was pretend this is a brand new thing yeah. and give it a, a, a new game new presentation easy to learn rules and all that stuff so that uh, so that a new audience could jump in on it and so I designed a completely new rule set that belongs to me. Like, Metamorphosis Alpha, the property belongs to Jim Ward. Right. Um, but they, but System 26, the game system, belongs to me. And, it, and it, so, 5th edition of Metamorphosis Alpha is the first incarnation of System 26 games and that I'll be Hopefully, doing. mini System 26 I've games. I've got several in the works already. But exactly. uh, so this one's uh, pretty cool. So, and yeah, so people who don't know, Metamorphosis Alpha is about the Starship Warden. It is a huge generational colony ship that was supposed to take people from Earth to some new world far away and this is in a in the rules of this sci-fi there's no faster than light travel so it would take the the journey would take hundreds of years if not more for them to get there so they needed a ship that would hold all life on Earth and all this stuff like some crew and everybody else in stasis and and literally different decks set up to simulate different environments you have desert and jungle and every region on Earth and, and all the different forms of life there so it would go and then something bad happened of course something in, bad in, always in the original version bad. they said um, radiation cloud but now we've uh, made it even more vague just some catastrophe happened that wrecked the ship killed most things and then caused all these mutations to happen and so over hun- the course of hundreds of years life has gone primitive everything uh, all, everything except but a handful of uh, pure humans are uh, are mutated and most do, don't even realize they're on a ship anymore. Do, do
0: you play the humans or do you play the mutants?
2: You play. You can play anything. You can play. So just because you've been mutated doesn't make you like evil necessarily. No, no. In okay. fact, most. I mean, there, there's no concept of alignment on Metawarrior's itself anyway. <laughs> uh, it's it's basically it's a very much a game of survival and exploration. But one of the weird things is one of the default ways you play is this idea your character doesn't understand that the world you live in is a spaceship. <laughs> you would literally, right. you could be from some primitive tribe and go off on a quest and eventually hit the wall at the end of the world. <laughs> or or and then you discover like a like an door. An, anti- and, yeah. right. You're anti-flat earther. Right. Like, you discover the truth. You know, it's sort of, yeah, there was a, an episode of the, um, the TV show, The Orville, uh-huh. Where yeah, they had they were. had a spaceship where they didn't realize they were on a spaceship. Yeah, and it was like, oh, that sounds familiar. You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and 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 wasn't a new idea with Metamorphosis Alpha either. Sure. There was a novel called it's called I think it was called Nonstop in the UK and Starship by Brian Aldiss here in the U- US, but it was a similar kind of setup right. where it was like a big ship that got wrecked and the. They didn't realize they were on a spaceship. So, anyway, yeah, you can play straight, was regu- straight humans. I didn't mean it like that. I meant <laughs> pure non mutated humans. We don't care if you're straight or not in the end. Um, and then uh, mutated humans. No one
0: cares about sexuality in space.
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah, myself. Alpha could get really weird if you wanted to get into sex. Yeah, mutated animals, mutated plants. And then theoretically, I was going to do an expansion uh, that had androids and robots. And honestly, it wouldn't take you a lot of work to take the rules even in the core book and play uh, an artificial character using the rules we have already in there. So, and and one of my selling pitches for for MA and why it's so cool is it's like, it's got the exploration and action kind of stuff you'd see in like D&D. Right. Because like like even Gary Gagax called it a floating dungeon in Mm -hmm. space, like this massive thing. And then it's got all of the, uh, like, superpowers and mutations from, like, the X-Men or other comic books. Right. And then you've also got... And then the third side, you have got sci-fi elements. You've got robots and lasers and <laughs> and crazy, like, super advanced tech. So and it could really mash be them all up. whatever game you want it to be. Oh, yeah. And, so, and you can play different styles. And then there's, like... You could play as just a primitive or you could be one of the crew members that was in stasis and you wake up and suddenly you're on the ship and all this right lunacy is going on all around you and I liked that the cause that's the core
1: book on the table, right? Yes. It's not real thick. I mean like it's a full book. It's 160
2: pages. But and it's not
1: like 300, <laughs> you know? no, or and 900.
2: Yeah, right. I, I deliberately, for one thing, I wanted it to be price accessible. So mm-hmm. it's like I wanted it to be a $20 book. Right. And they give you a core game. So you've got character creation, full rules, um, sample characters for people who just want to jump in right away, and a, full, a starter adventure. That's great. Which... I- the, my favorite adventure title I ever came up with, uh, which is the Petting Zoo of Death, which is the starter <laughs> adventure. In- I'm in. That's
0: awesome. <laughs> now
1: the uh, the System Twenty Six is what what sort of dice do you use for that? It's all
2: d sixes, cool. and it's a dice pool system. That was also part of the idea going in. Is like let's just you know use stuff that people would have access to and make it really accessible. And so it's a dice pool system where. Uh, without really trying to explain too much uh, about it, the, the basic idea is your character is defined by how you are either above or below average. So if you anything that you would just kind of, your middle of the road on, is not even all in your character sheet. Right. And in System 26 is almost like a quick code for the core mechanic of the game, which is if it's something you're neither good nor bad at, and there's no reason why you can't try it, roll two six-sided dice. Right okay and then you and then depending on how well you roll it is like how many successes you accumulate and 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 then you all you need to worry about is how good or bad you are at something, if it's on your sheet, otherwise you default to that two (laughs) six-siders. And then it's just, you know, whether you're trying to do something that's easy, average, or hard. And that basically, there's one simple understanding of how to interpret that dice results kind of informs the rest of the game, builds off that. Right. So it's something you can learn, and there's a little player rules section in the beginning. It's like five pages long. It's the only thing that a player needs to be familiar with. (laughs) The full rules chapter is really something only the, the game master needs to worry about. That's awesome. Actually, we call and we call the game master referee and Metamorphosis Alpha is a throwback to the original edition because <laughs> in all those like old early seventies RPGs, it's all about you know the, the referee this and the referee yeah. that. Right.
1: That's awesome. So that is not the first licensed product that you've worked on. Um, I, you know, we, we mentioned earlier you worked on Battlestar Galactica and Serenity. And all those. What's it like to work on a licensed product? Because I would think that that puts some. I mean, it certainly lays some groundwork, some restrictions on you as a creator. In
0: directions, yeah. <laughs> it's
1: this just This is a, an aspect of game development that we've not had anyone that, that can speak to it yet, and so I'm, I'm curious. It's,
2: it's really interesting, and it's like, in, in my experience, I've gotten to bo- do both um, licensing game products, intellectual property from other game companies, right. which I've done, and I've also licensed uh, from, like, Hollywood and, like, television yeah. and film... I mean, obviously, both of those are very different because when you're working with another game company, they're actually going to have an opinion on the actual game side of things, yeah, like, like, the, like actual side. game mechanics. So, like you know, you're gonna be, oh, what is this prestige class? You know, we're gonna, <laughs> what's going on with this? And you know, is it this many skill points for whatever. It's like actual like paying attention and possibly even making like altering suggestions right. or even overruling you on game, on game mechanics stuff. <laughs> Um, even though that, you know, real it got pretty rare after a while. However, the media licensing, which is what most people are going to end up doing, that is a whole crazy different beast. And you never know, like, what all is going to go with it. Like, you're going to get notes on, it's mostly going to be stuff like visual presentation because that's the stuff that these sure. people are looking at. They want to make sure their brand is being represented correctly. So the characters look like the actors. So for example, if you're doing uh something that is a uh science fiction and western mashup <laughs> and the uh and the and the company that you're working with kinda doesn't really know a whole lot about the property that they own, mm-hmm. they might say yeah. something like, What is all this sort of old timey looking graphic look uh, you know, we want this is a science fiction thing. It just needs to be all like Chrome and LED response oh, right. and all this stuff and, and having to fight saying, No, 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 I understand <laughs> this is the reason I'm doing this stuff and having to, to fight for that kind of thing. Right. Uh, and then and then just stuff like You never know how... It's not... There's like how many different contracts are all bouncing off of each other. Right. So, for example, different actors on a show or movie might have their own rules about how their images are supposed to be. So, for example, I was doing one product where one particular actress, she had uh, in her contract a completely different from the entire rest of this cast, where she had to have individual approval... On any uh, use of her image wow. on anything, oh my so so separately from everybody else, she had to write a sign off. Of, even though all the images we used were already pulled, they were all from licensed a pre-approved. Images, right. like, like we were already given the stuff that was okay to use. Right. But she still had to have a, a chance to look at it again. And then I it ended up waiting. And waiting on this one, it was, it was an introductory, like, uh, quick start kind of product. And I ended up having to completely just pull out the two pictures and replace them. because They didn't have this actress in it. Otherwise, we would be late and wouldn't have it in time for Gen Con that year. Wow. So then later, as revenge, when I did the core book, that particular actress, uh, I only put her in, like, once. And I avoided using her image <laughs> everywhere else. I just used her where I had to. It was just kind of like, the, this is your my payback for me, you being such a pain in the ass. Yeah. Uh, and, and just stuff like that, or another one uh, where where this this would be a property that had a car as a very prominent uh, part of the story, and it turned out that in, with this particular licensing deal, that while the, the this model car was approved um, by Chevrolet to be used uh, in the show, but any book any any book or secondary licensing. The car was not allowed to be used, or, you're, or at least you're not allowed to see much of the car. So we're like, we're only allowed to use this much percentage of the car in any shot. Oh my so goodness. like, you could That's see its fender. So, so literally, it's like, and then I'm looking through these pictures that I was given to work with, and like, and it's in every there's, a car, there's a car, there's a car, there's a car, and I had like to like, I, just
0: crop it I had
2: to, I literally had to crop oh in where God. only a little bit of the car was visible. That's so crazy. And my original cover design was two guys and a car, right? Yeah. And I yeah. had to cut the car off the cover and really wow. redesign the cover because the car wasn't allowed to be used. That's fascinating. It was, and it was like one of those things I never would have predicted that, and it's and it's weird stuff like that uh, <laughs> that, that, that pops up.
0: I would think that up. would be like promotional for the.
2: You would think that it wouldn't. There would cars, be. You, you would know. think there would be no downside. <laughs> yeah. However, but for whatever reason, because of contracts and dollars traded before you know I ever came along that had to be a thing I had to learn to live with and it completely caused an extra like two weeks worth of work sure, as we yeah. combed through trying to figure out what's going on and had to have the entire cover redone wow. and then, to this day the, that particular product the original cover was by far the superior well, version well it
0: always is yeah
2: I was so mad, I was like, I can't use my two guys in a car when it was literally when I wrote the original I even wrote it.
0: That's what it's about. Even in the the
2: pitch I wrote, it was like when I when I was pitching getting the license in the first place, I said, This is what this is about. This is like the literally having the car in there. So yeah. It's it's completely crazy. And then I've I've done some licensing just from individual creators. Like Metamorphosis Alpha was that. But that Mm -hmm. was that's a completely Easy ball game, especially when you have a good working relationship with somebody already. So, like for Metamorphosis Alpha, it is technically a licensed product because right. uh, James M. Ward owns that 100%. But he likes you, he trusts you. But, but it's you, like, you know, we, we had an agreement and then we, we went to work on it, and and he gave me a real free reign just to, he's like, come into my sandbox and play. He let, he let me write my own complete rule set, very different from the stuff they used before. He let me do the visual style and presentation, even like, like, every other version of Metal Wars itself I had the ship on the cover, whereas, like, I completely, I made it where you, if you're not, you don't look carefully, you might not even realize the, the sci-fi thing. So, like, I have a big mutant-looking creature right. on the cover, and he's holding a spear, and it looks like <laughs> in the background there's a desert behind him. But then when you look a little bit closer, you're like, oh, well, the wall the, the wall that he's kind of holding on to is rusted and, m- like, metal. Yeah. And then the necklace around his neck, if you look really close, it's actually, like, computer chips that have been just, like, arching <laughs> a necklace. And then if you look in the desert, there's kind of, like, a grid, like a holodeck-looking thing underneath sure. the desert. It's like, so it's like there's almost like a visual Easter egg. Oh, there's more going on here than meets the eye. And so Jim let me just play around and do whatever he wanted. He looked over everything, and, and he it, but he his he had barely any notes at all really Um, he just kind of let me play I mean we'd already worked together and so he trusted me and so that was like a very painless experience compared to working with a giant multinational conglomerate (laughs) entertainment (laughs) corporation where it's like even the licensing people I worked with who were in general really great but even still like they're hamstrung by all of their own rules and contracts and procedures and you're having to make sure you upload files to them and give them weeks to review stuff and come back with notes and corrections. And and then if and, the, and it might be approved with corrections or it could be approved uh, or it's like not approved. You have to resubmit the entire thing and have to have them look it all over again.
1: Do they at least tell you why it's not approved? Like, you Yeah, get notes yeah they,
2: they, always, it. they would always give you something to work with. It's like not approved for this reason and it was either make this change and we trust you to make the change and you can go ahead and move forward. Or you have to send it back. But then the problem was, half the time, even though there was like a window of how long an approval process would take, but sometimes it went longer. Right. And the way the the licensing contracts are written, if you are the licensee getting this rights to work on this stuff, you basically bend over and... And take it, however they give it to you. Even when they break their own rules, right? You, they, yeah. they have all the power in the relationship, and the contracts are terrifying. <laughs> They're over thirty pages long, and wow. literally every clause and subclause is like, "This is how if we decided, we can just completely explode this deal and kill it." And you don't know; you don't get any money back. And wow! <clears throat> wow! It, it's basically it, all this stuff that basically never, rarely comes up unless there's a huge dispute. But it basically gives them all the power. Where if they ever needed to, they could just kill your project like just that. Just move on, yeah. right? Yeah. that's amazing.
1: So uh, the last thing I think we want to talk about real quick is Carrie wants to talk to you about your card game
0: that you sure. the the building an elder god. That looks yeah. so fun. Really and and cool. it
2: is so fun, uh, and, and and it's like the only bad news about, about it is that it's currently not in print, but that'll be fixed ah! very soon. Okay. Uh, but it's still available. Uh, you know, you can still get it now, just not in stores, unfortunately. All right. So, uh, building an Elder God when when I split off from my old company and started my n- new life back down in <laughs> where I came from in Georgia, uh, I started a company called Signal Fire Studios. Okay. And my uh, Ben approached me with a concept uh, for building an Elder God, which is a a tile-laying style card game kind of in the vein of like, there's an old Parker Brothers game called Waterworks. uh, It's like a plumbing when you're you're creating pipes and stuff. It's a similar uh, format to that. But uh, in this case, you're actually building a tentacly monster. uh, (laughs) uh, Lovecraftian inspired instead of building plumbing or doing other types of things. So it's a race to build your monster first. So the idea is everybody's a cultist. You're trying to uh, use the, the magic of the Necronomicon and all this, these incantations to, to build this nasty monster and yours needs to be finished first. But when you find out your jerk friends are trying to build their own monsters, you take a shotgun and you blow off the tentacle of somebody else's monster. Um, so the gameplay is very simple because um, essentially you're building a picture on the table with cards. You need a lot of table space. And you have five cards in your hand and every turn you're going to draw a card and you're going to play a card. And you're either going to be playing a good card in yourself to build your monster and help you achieve victory or you play a damage card in somebody else to knock them down. To knock them down and then they can't keep going until they've healed. Okay. Right? And the way you heal is you either play a matching good card uh, on yourself to heal um, or you have two little Necronomicon pieces and those are your free heals but once they're gone they're gone you're, you're not replenished um, and those are the only two healing methods so if you don't have any Necronomicon pieces left and you, you're, you have a lousy hand you can right. be stuck a couple turns waiting around um, there's also the Elder Sign cards there's a few of those in the deck and those allow you to sacrifice some of your own critter in order to force the other player to discard some of their own cards off their monster all right. And so that it creates one little extra mechanic, but it plays really fast. It's like usually less than thirty minutes, especially if a group's played before. It's inexpensive. Yes. Yeah, it's a twenty dollars uh, for awesome. the game.
0: All I know is when I looked at the back, it said a casual card game, but it yes. had all these tentacles, and I was yep. just like, "This is
2: great." <laughs> uh, tentacles there. So, so yeah, and it, it actually did really well. It was one of those. It wasn't like a bestseller, but it, it was a very consistent seller uh, for, until like. But I guess we're close to two years ago. It completely sold out, mm-hmm. and then because of the circumstances I mentioned earlier, yeah, I wasn't in the position to move forward on reprinting. I was actually work. I was trying to get Metamorphosis Alpha done at that time, and I actually sure. sent that to press. Literally, I was living in the hospital with my daughter when I sent the files right. to the printer yeah. for that. So I didn't have enough bandwidth to do both. <laughs> and, but I've really hated it because now it's like two years have gone by, and like this game has been out of print. So right now, uh, if you go to drive-through cards, um, you, you can go find Building an Elder God there, and they'll literally print a deck on demand oh, that's awesome. and download the rules. So you can still get it, but um, we're going to be doing a new Kickstarter coming up pretty soon. I should uh, be announcing that. And that'll be to do a second printing with slightly upgraded components. That's great. So it'll be color rolls instead of black and white. Um, the Necronomicon pieces in the first printing, you were basically, you had to take a pair of scissors and cut a card in half to make the two pieces <laughs> for each one. This will actually be like cardstock stock punch outs. So yeah. it'll just be a slightly upgraded. better, but but in terms of the gameplay and the cards will be exactly the same, but that'll be it. That's great. And um, and then we've got a, not, well, it's not a sequel game, but we have a follow-up game that uses the same basic play style that, that we're going to be uh, actually going to be doing an open beta on that coming up soon where anybody who wants to download that it'll be just the the sketch the hand sketch yeah. version of the cards you can print out the cards at home and then you can give some feedback to us and then eventually we'll do a, a Kickstarter to print the final version with That's art cool. working with Ben again uh, this one's called Throw Me the Idol <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that should tell you something about
1: it yeah. fantastic. part of
2: the idea is to have the title always tell you a little something about yeah. what the game is about And and so it is about you are an archaeologist and you are trying to get treasure out of an ancient ruin. So you're building your way, you laying down these these cards to the treasure room. And then the boulder appears when you grab the idol. (laughs) So then you have to build your way to the exit before the boulder rolls off the edge of your card and squishes your archaeologist. That's great. So So it it takes the same basic mechanics but has a different theme. And it has an elimination. You can be killed out of... Uh, Throw me the idol, right? Uh, So, but if you do that, the only thing you can do left is just move other people's boulders and try to kill them (laughs) out too. Okay. Um, So that's one of the things we got in in the early works, uh, along with uh, like ten other projects that are just kind of in development. That's
0: that's That's great. Awesome.
2: Well, keep us posted. We'd love to be able to share it. I
0: I have. One sure. final thing Anything I, I want to—I will—I want to tell you something. Okay. Because um, I'm sure you—you you probably get people telling you well, I played this game and that mm-hmm. game. Um, I run a couple different mushes, which are online role-playing yeah. games, um, and from things that I've found in one of one of the books that we're not mentioning. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I run a supernatural mush, and I just wanted to let you know that like my players really do enjoy the universe that you helped build so that's thank you.
2: awesome no, thank you very much so.
1: all right well uh, Jamie Chambers we really appreciate you joining us for a little yeah, while yeah. today and taking your time um, so. we're gonna put links up to everything that we talked about on Absolutely. our episode page and uh, and we wish you the best of luck and, and we hope everything works out wonderful you know with your family things and uh, thank you again
2: for for spending time with us oh, thanks for having me all appreciate right. it yeah.
1: Expressed on the Honorable Podcast belong to just those who are here on the podcast and nobody else. All of the music is courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com.